All right, everybody. Um, quick. Um, so this is the first podcast I'm recording on my iPhone. So if it's any differences to it, um, can you can you guys please let me know? I'm back on the old mic. It's been kind of a crazy couple months with this, but um, I'm recording this on the iPhone, not the iPad. I'm guessing in theory there should be no difference, but... Uh, theory and theory and reality don't often tend to mesh so um let's get at it let's get to the questions um what do you think about the gses and the new era gses seller buy um so i guess my first thoughts is you know again I, i don't think we're in a new era um you know as far as the gses being a buy or sell i think we've established you know if you don't have a position in them and you've been looking at taking position GSEs for any given one over time I don't know you're gonna get much better prices than now so if you don't have a position in the you know the preferreds were 20 30 40 50 percent higher a month ago and you know you thought you were uh, didn't want to buy them at that prices you know you're not going to get much better pricing than now so that's what I would say about as far as being a buyer or a sell. If you're a current holder, you need to judge whether you buy more or not and your current level of exposure to them and what you think is going to happen going forward. But um, I, I do not believe that we are on any kind of a new era at all that affects the GSEs in any kind of a significant way. Um, I still view what's happening as a short-term interruption in an otherwise extremely healthy economy. And I don't see, you know, any reason for this to um, affect life in the U.S. for, you know, years or decades kind of thing. I honestly think that if you're looking at emotional scars, I think the emotional scars from the Great Recession... um, We'll stick with people longer than this well. We've had Ebola. We've had SARS. Um, we've had these sorts of things before. Um, we'll have them again. And, you know, the people's reaction are going to be people's reactions to it. So um, I think it's very scary right now. I think due to media manipulation and people tend to panic first when it comes to things like this that they can't see or put a finger on. Um, you know, like a disease or a virus. Um, I think they tend to panic first and react later, which is fine. I mean, if you want to panic and go lock yourself in a house for a month and be safe and and that kind of stuff, then God bless you, go do it. Um, You know, that's, that's, you know, people have the right to do that. I think shutting whole swaths of the economy down has detrimental effects. And I think a prolonged shutdown will have more detrimental effects than uh, the virus will or would have. And that's just my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. But, um, you know, we know for a fact that suicides and domestic violence, death and things like that spike significantly in recession. So the longer people are locked in their houses together, we're going to start seeing more of this kind of stuff. Um, The flip side of that is other deaths are avoided, right? Um, no one's really driving anywhere, so traffic deaths are down significantly. Um, I'm not sure that that's a great trade-off for shutting down the economy, right? Typically, about 130 people die in traffic accidents in the U.S. 
29 of them are in alcohol-related deaths. And that's every day of the year. It's not a flu season total which runs from October to March. It's, you know, a everyday thing throughout the entire year. So you can look at it that way and say, you know, well, we're saving some deaths, preventing others, but I don't view this as a long-term thing. And I just had a couple of conversations with people on the phone, uh, you know, in front of police officers, and every police officer you know will tell you right now that domestic disturbances are going through the roof. Right? People are locked in their house. They're bored. They're getting on each other's nerves. Alcohol stores have been left open. In every state that's demanded a shutdown, they left the liquor stores open. So what's happening? Right? What's people doing? They're sitting home, bored, getting drunk, drinking, getting pissed at each other, fighting, blah, 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 blah. Cops are called. Um, anyone who knows a cop, ask them. They're going to tell you the exact same thing. So there's a trade-off in every decision. And... You know, it's been about a couple weeks. Most states have been locked down for the last two weeks, and we're seeing a huge spike in domestic disturbances. Uh, that spills over. You go another two weeks, another three weeks with everything shut down, people start running out of money. You know, we've lamented the fact for the last couple decades that most people, maybe 40%, live paycheck to paycheck or, you know, have two months or maybe a month of reserves in their bank account. Well, that's going to be gone soon. Yes, we have a stimulus check, but as has been pointed out, if you don't have um, direct deposit with the IRS, you may not get your checks till June. And, you know, just, just say it the way it is. Most of the people who desperately need this money don't have direct deposit with the IRS. Right? So what's going to happen? Right? They start running out of money, they're going to go get food someplace. And they'll do it in mobs or gangs or whatever word you want to use. And they'll start busting into Targets and Walmarts and shopping stores and whatever to get food. So and at that point, you have to weigh what you think about this virus. And a lot of it's factually inaccurate. Um it's, you know, right now in Massachusetts, less than 70% of those people tested, meaning people who are being tested, people who are symptomatic. They have fevers, they have chills, they have coughs. 70% of those that are actually tested are even positive. So we know the infection rate is not even close to what people think it is. It's probably going to be less than the flu. Is it da more dangerous for older people and smokers and diabetics? Probably. But for the general population, it's no more dangerous. Yes, you're going to see the news throwing out, hey, a, a, a 30-year-old in New York died from coronavirus. So every 30-year-old should lock themselves, all 7 million 30-year-olds in New York City should lock themselves aside because a person died from the virus. Remember, folks, the news is not there to inform you. The news is to keep your eyeballs on them, and they do it through fear. It's a sad commentary, but it's true. So I think this drags on for two or three months. You see massive, massive civil unrest. So, and I think the government is smart enough to know this. And I think that they recognize that they need to get people back to work and get people functioning in their normal life sooner rather than later. And so I do believe that this is a short-term dip. So I don't think the housing market's going to be fundamentally 
challenged for years or for 18 months like it was after the Great Recession, I think it snaps back pretty quick. I think people go back to work pretty quick. I think a lot of your lower income people might be in trouble because a lot of the jobs that they had, meaning you know your fast food or your restaurants or things like that might be gone because some of them might go under. But the flip side is these people aren't buying houses. And that, I mean, it's, I don't want it to sound callous. But that's just a simple fact of life. So I don't think there's a new era for the GSEs. You know, now if I'm wrong and this drags on for five or six months, then we might have a different conversation. But I think honestly, if, if you have a national shutdown for four or five months, I think the very last thing on anyone's mind here is going to be their stock in the GSEs. Right? It's, it's going to be ugly out there. So, and again, that's not a scenario I envision. I envision people coming to their census beforehand, well before that happens, and say, hey, we need to get people back to work. We need to start functioning again. And I think that that starts happening. Um, podcast, I know you're super busy, but I think a podcast today or tomorrow might benefit your subs greatly, especially GSE-related news. It's kind of saying, there's a lot of things going on with GSEs right now. And honestly, I, and I just had this conversation, I don't think that Mnuchin or Calabria do anything significantly different than what they're doing or have been doing with the GSEs, barring what's happening now being extended three, four, five months. You know, Bernanke said that this is more like a natural disaster versus the Great Recession. And, and, I, and I, honestly, I, I believe that to be true. And this is more like a September 11th or a massive, you know, the Hurricane Sandy that went up the East Coast that causes massive disruption for a short amount of time. And then you see things go back to normal relatively quickly. And, and I do believe that this is what this is. So because of that, I don't think Calabria and Mnuchin are going to do anything that could significantly alter what's going on with the GSCs and, and the trajectory that they're on and screw up their plans if they don't absolutely have to do it. And right now, they don't have to. Yeah, I know, mortgage rates have blown out. The spread, in, the spread between mortgages has blown out, right? That's out of fear. But we got to go back, go back to work order in a couple weeks or three weeks. That fear goes away pretty quick. This is not 0809 where the, basically the world almost melted down. This is more of a pause. And, and, and I, I get that it doesn't make it easier for anyone. I'm not saying that, oh, this is no big deal, just ignore it. I'm just saying that the fundamentals of the economy are materially different than they were in 0809. Consumer balance sheets are the healthiest they've ever been in my lifetime. That alone is enough to stop a housing market from collapsing. You don't have forced sellers. Yes, you will have some. You always do. But the forced selling that we saw in 0809. Don't forget, when we went into that recession in 09, we had almost 12 months of inventory in the housing market. We're at about a quarter of that now. We don't have the Alt-A loans. We don't have the liar loans. We don't have the no-doc loans. It's, it's significantly different market. So the economy and people are much, much 
well, much more prepared to weather a downturn. Um, the stock market is responding this week as if the economy will recover in a month or two, and part of me seems to like this. Seems like this will be an extensive recovery, especially if you look at all the extreme measures the Asian countries have had to do just to curb the virus. Mixed feelings. Um, yeah. I mean... So I, I think there's two different... So I think, I think there's two different questions here in the word recovery. How long does it take the economy to recovery? And how long does it take the stock market to recover? And I think, and I've maintained this, that the stock market recovery would be more of a V. Not a long, drawn-out process. I think that as the economic fundamentals begin to improve, if people start going back to work, in in the eyes of investors, they're going to go back to, you know, January, February, beginning of March. Where was the economy at at that time frame? It was very, very good. So I think that in the eyes of investors who think that the economy will go back to that spot, will also then look at the prices of stocks, some which may still at that point in time be 30%, 40% off where they were when the economy was going good and say, hey, we got bargains here. We got lots of bargains and go hunt for them. So I think you might see the economy rebound in a very large way. I'm sorry, the stock market rebound well ahead of the economy. And, and I've maintained that from early on in this. I think that's what's going to happen. And I do believe that's what's going to happen. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be Big up days, big down, big down days, blah, blah, blah. But I think it does mean when we look back at this chart a year and a half from now, it looks like a V. Not a long, drawn-out, bottoming process that ends up with a recovery. That is purely... It's a V-shape. And I think the economy sort of... So if I had to... If I had to put the economic recovery into a into a number into a um, uh, into a letter, I think it would be sort of a skewed U. Well, we dropped off quick. We'll kind of stag line for a little bit, and then kind of go on the upside like a forty-five degree angle on the economy, right? If if I had to draw it out, that's what I would say we're going to do. But I think the market will jump ahead, well ahead of that. And recover much faster, which is why, for the last two weeks, um, I've been buying stocks. Because I think that in a year from now, people buying stocks right now will be very, very happy they did. I mean, I posted today. So if you look at the the intrinsic value of the S P five hundred, we're we're almost back to two thousand eight valuations on it, meaning the discount between intrinsic value versus the current price. We're almost at 2008 levels. And there's been a lot of people who have lamented the fact that they weren't buying stocks in 08, 09. Well, you know what? It's 14 years later, but it's, yeah, 12 years later, but here's your chance. All right? Here's your chance again. Now, a lot of people aren't going to step into the market right now. They're scared. They're worried. But what if there's 10% more downside? So what? I mean, honestly, think about it. 
and I'll, I mean, I, I talk about these all the time because I, I can't believe the valuation discount. But look at Kinder Morgan and Williams, down roughly 50%, right? Who cares if you buy today and there's another 10% downside? Right? You're looking at 100% upside just to get back to where they were from current levels. Really? Who gives a shit if you go out to another 10%? It, the, the, the illusion that you're going to be able to catch the bottom of anything like this, it paralyzes people into an action. And then, and, and then they miss 20, 30% of the upside, which when you multiply that is significantly more. You know, Buffett, you know, Buffett had a, Buffett was talking in 08 or 09. When he was investing, people were asking him, you know, how do you know it's the bottom? How do you know? He's like, I don't know it's the bottom because I know the stocks I'm buying are incredibly cheap because they may go down 10, 20 percent more because I don't know because I know years from now, there'll be multiples of where they were. And he was 100 percent right. Trying to time the absolute bottom in a stock or the market is a fool's game. Yes, someone will do it. Absolutely. Someone. And it'll be luck. It will be, and that's just how it is. There are a lot of really good companies selling at ridiculous valuations right now. You know, Williams was on last week with a conference call saying the year-over-year demand is up. Year-over-year transport volumes on their system is up. There has been no effect to cash flow based on this crisis as of yet. There you go. Yet the stock's down 50%. So I think if you were buying a private business right now who said, yeah, my, my, my numbers are up despite this from last year. My cash flow is great since last year, but I'll sell my business at 50% price compared to what was last year, 50% cheaper. Would you buy it? In a heartbeat, you would. But because it's a stock, you'll make it, you know, numbers on it every single day and the whole world can opine on it. People get paralyzed in their fear and they don't miss on great opportunities. If you could dissect both Fannie and Howard Hughes' current environment, how you think their respective story plays? So I think I've talked about Fannie enough. Um, so Howard Hughes is basically simple. Howard Hughes is a mix of development. It's a mix of uh, a residential REIT, basically, right? And it's a mix of a retail REIT. You know, retail REITs are down on average at 50%. I think it's almost 60% it was um, last week. So I'm not sure where they are today. But I'm sure they're not too far off 50% down. So they're reacting the way the market's reacting. I think they have a little more security in that because they're in master plan communities and not um, just regular REITs, they have more control over what goes on in their environments and that's helpful to them. Um, I think they had a, a wise but unfortunately timed purchase in the woodlands, which is why they needed to raise the, the money Ackman jumped in and raised $500 million of it. Um, you know, I think that it's a wise pickup on his part. I think if you're buying eight Howard Hughes in the 50s, you're making a, a fantastic buy. Um, I think they recover. I don't, you know, it's two things. Howard Hughes trades as a REIT and it trades on oil. And whenever oil crashes, Howard Hughes tra crashes. Even though there's really no basis for the oil thing, the oil correlation. Um, you know, operating results have not deteriorated anywhere 
near what has happened in past oil price uh, drops. You know, they've maintained strong operating results, have not improved them throughout. NOI has improved every year, despite, you know, a couple of times oil's crashed. So there's no logical real, real uh, there's no logical reason for it. But logic and markets, you know, seldom disconnect. And I think you're seeing that right now. So, you know, I think Ackman's willing to up his stake by $500 million, be the largest investor even more. Uh, you know what? Go for it. And I, I don't... I, again, I don't see any long-term damage to Howard Hughes from what's happening right now, barring this dragging out for four or five or six months, and I'm adamant that I don't see that happening. Uh, Lumber Liquidators has been on a decline and not participating in recent market run-up. Thoughts? Well, Lumber Liquidators is kind of a different situation here. You know, they have the temporary CEO... Uh, they have the turnaround thing going on, and then they're they're not you know they're not they're in the basically the remodeling right the new home construction. Well, we know there's not much home new construction that's going to come to a grinding halt because construction projects are grounded. There you go. Um, also because of that, people aren't letting people into their homes to redo their floors because of the coronavirus. So it's kind of a double whammy for lumber liquidators. So I think it's rational that they're not participating in the upside because you know it, it it's really hard for them to have their products installed at homes right now so i think that's a logical thing not knowing how this long this long is going to play out but what may happen is you know it's not participating in the rally now but when this clears up you may see them participate in excess of everything else a month or two from now so i'm not overly concerned with what's going on right now i think the market in this respect is you know they really can't do much. Um, people aren't going to be buying lumber, lump, buying flooring for their house. They're not going to let a group of seven guys in to come install it. And all construction projects in a lot of states are paused. So there's no reason for them to participate in the run-up until um, that is solved. You know, even, you know, you can look at company like Nike, right? Well, Nike sells their shoes to stores. But right now, Nike's online sales are up 37%. No one's going to go buy lumber liquid or stuff online because they can't have it installed at their house. They're just going to wait. So, it, you know, the, that that's when you get the specialty home improvement people, that is a that's something I would expect to see right now. But again, I do see that when things clear up, when people get back, when that pent up um, suppressed demand comes back into the market, I think lumber, day, lumber, lumber liquidators at that point, whenever that happens, will outperform the market at many levels because there'll be, you know, they'll see a surge of orders and construction will ramp back up and, you know, they'll be they'll be flooded with orders from all the people who have wanted to do things, planned on do things, and I'm sure they'll have sales going, et cetera, et cetera, and they will, um, they'll participate in excess of the market uh, when that point in time comes. Um, I am just going to do a one more... One more quick look for questions. There weren't a ton this week, but I think people are going, <clears throat> sitting in their houses, kind of going slowly crazy. But yeah, so that's it for um, that's it for the questions. So that's all I have for this week. You know, end of the day, the message is the same. You know, don't follow the number of cases. 
follow the number of people who are test positive versus the number of tests. In a lot of states aren't releasing the number of people tested, they're just releasing positive test results, which I think is, is bad because statistically it throws everything off. But in the states that release the number of people tested versus the number of people who have the virus, it's about 10 to 15%. And you have to remember that only people being tested right now are the people who test positive for several symptoms. And even those people don't have it. They just have the standard flu. So, you know, if, if, if 10 to 15% of people who, have, who are symptomatic actually have the virus, then simple math tells us that a large percentage of the population, the vast majority of it, does not have it and is probably either immune to it or has had it and now has antibodies built up because it was so mild in them. So take a deep breath, be safe, and I will be back next week. And I hope um, I hope the rally continues, and I hope everyone has a fantastic week. Bye now.